This isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi, I'm Tatum Durock, and today we are talking about how to be a friend to someone with cancer. So much as we don't get a manual, although it would be so handy, about how to be a patient, about how to deal with the myriad of emotional, psychological, practical things of being a cancer patient, our friends don't get a manual either. So they're often floundering just the same as we are, as what to do, what to say. And so today we are going to be talking to two amazing guests. We've got Eleanor, who um, had cancer in her mid-30s, and um, she's going to be sharing a little bit about what her friends did that was really useful, as well as, you know, a couple of things that were maybe less so. And we're also going to be talking to Neil, who had cancer in his 20s. He works for Shine Cancer Support and he's currently training to be a therapist. So he is going to be sharing a little bit about some of those tricky conversations. Like, what do you say when words are just not enough? And it's often in that panic that we often say, you know, sometimes things that we don't, we don't entirely, we're just talking, you know, (laughs) we're just gabbing without really thinking about what we're saying. So this will be really useful in terms of either if you are a friend um, and you're looking for some ideas or if you're someone with cancer that you know wants to maybe preemptively have some conversations with your friends um, if you are feeling lonely know that you are not alone in that pre-covid shine did a survey and 58 percent of adults in their 20s 30s and 40s with cancer 58% reported being lonely. So we need our friends at this time. It is an incredibly isolating time. 25% said that they were hesitant to tell their friends about their diagnosis. So, you know, we we need our friends and that's what we're doing here today. So hi, Eleanor. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hello, yes, hi, nice to be here. And can you tell me a little bit about your diagnosis? Yeah, so I'm quite new um, in this world, if you like. I'm just out of treatment, having been diagnosed back in um, April, Mm -hmm. when everything was opening up and people were all starting to meet and Zoom was sort of becoming back into the distance. Mm -hmm. Um, All of a sudden I had to carry on with it, um, which was quite interesting I so I found a lump in my breast and then was diagnosed with a um a tumor with uh, ER positive so hormonal positive tumor with DCIS uh, it was a, about an eight nine centimeter mass by the time I went um because I did everything you're not supposed to do and um didn't go and get it checked out for a good few months having said that it was about the same size when I felt it so that was um, interesting Uh, I had your full rounds of um, the full mastectomy and lymph node clearance on one side with surgery I then had your six rounds of chemo and I had 15 rounds of radiotherapy and I will be on the hormonal then um, the the fun hormonal tablets for the next decade (laughs) so quite a year yeah there's just been a few things going on yeah just I'm... just a couple and all of that while during covid as well 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that made it easier or harder in some ways because mm. it was easy to avoid people. Right. <laughs> um, but it was also harder not being able to see people and draw upon support. You know, I I don't think um it was particularly nice being in the chemotherapy chair without anybody with you. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been quite nice to have some company. Absolutely. So when when you had the lump, when you found the lump and you said there was that period of time before you got it checked out and then I imagine that you had a biopsy and then you were waiting for results. Did you tell any of your friends during that time? So I I kind of ignored it um, and then eventually went to the doctor for something else and sort of said, oh, can you just check this out? And got told, oh, I you know, I don't think it's anything. I can feel fibroids, um, but you're telling me it's it's a new change and I'm only, you're over 30, so the guidelines tell me I must refer you. Okay. Um, so I came away from that thinking everything was fine. Okay. <laughs> um, and then by the time I went to the, um, the breast clinic, the surgeon just, she didn't even feel my breast. She looked and it was visible and she, I knew from that biopsy. Um, but the, they sort of rushed the results through. I think my, my initial appointment was on Monday and she said, bring somebody in with you for the results on the Friday. So I knew, but I couldn't confirm it until the Friday. And I think I, I didn't tell anybody in that week other than my parents um, and my immediate family, because people would have questions. I had questions. Um, and I didn't have any answers. Yeah. Um, you're also, it's so much to deal with. And you, you're still in that little denial kind of, this isn't, there's this bubble of denial. Um, you know, this isn't really happening. The GP told me it was all going to be fine. Right. It's all fine. I like that uh, the description of a denial bubble, right? And And somehow, like, not talking about it, means that you can stay inside that bubble. So there are these periods of time that it can be trickier to reach out to friends and sort of easier to kind of stay inside that place. Oh, completely. And I don't know, I can't even, that week is such a blur that I don't know if I carried on as normal with mm. communication or not, or if I just went off the radar for a week because I just don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I remember that that time. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't in a denial bubble. I knew because I similar to you. I knew how they treated me when I went in for the biopsy, and I was like, the nurse put her hand on my back, and I was like, oh, I'm so fucked right now. <laughs> like I just knew, I'm, and the way they guided me into the little room and everything. But yeah, it was really hard to talk to friends and I felt like a lunatic. I felt like, I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. They brought me into the little room and they're like, mm, you're being a bit dramatic. <laughs> like, so, um, and one of my friends even got a little bit irritated with me. Um, and I think it was because she was worried. But it came out, you know, like she she almost wanted to be really normal. And I had done something that she, you know, would no normally be like medium le level irritating. But she took it up a notch just to kind of like really double down on normality. Um, so, yeah, kind of whether you're in that bubble or whether you've got friends in there with you, it's it's tricky. 
Yeah, and I think it's kind of all emotions and bits of personality traits. I think they're kind of heightened by cancer. Yes. And by fear. And it's like little things that you might suppress. So I've always been a kind of, it'll be fine. We'll get there. Kind of paddle underwater. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, somebody asks you, how are you? And you just say, it's fine. It's all fine. Because you know that it will be. It might not be at the time. And you kind of go, no, I have to say that it's going to be fine. And I think that's, again, heightened. <laughs> and you just go, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, this will pass. Whatever happens, it'll be, it, you just get through. Yeah. So when you got but, the news and you had the diagnosis, um, did you tell people one by one? Did you use social media? How how did you have those initial conversations? Yeah. So with those initial, it, it was a mixture. Um, there were certain people that I felt I needed to tell straight away mm-hmm. and that I needed to tell person to person. And I also didn't put, I wouldn't have put it past myself to kind of go on social media and just have a rant, um, you know, three o'clock in the morning job and just put something up there. And I thought that, and also I knew that I was going to look very different at some point during this treatment. Um, so I, I thought I need to tell people and also to raise awareness and to sort of say, mm-hmm. don't do what I did and ignore things for a couple of months. Um, because yeah, it, it could be what you're hoping it's not. Um, so I, I made phone calls and wanted to tell people, um, over the phone because I thought it, even though you couldn't meet and tell people in person, um, there were some people who I, I needed to have those conversations with. And they were all lovely. And one of them, um, she'd recently lost her mother-in-law to breast cancer. So she'd been through the whole, um, the whole, oh, I hate the word journey, but, you know, she will say it for now. So things like that, you, you can't, I, I was still very mindful that it could be triggering for other people. Right. Um, yeah, that's the thing is everyone's got their own experiences and if, yeah, and kind of they have their own levels of capacity depending on what's going on in their lives as well. Um, yeah. And so, so uh, once I sort of spoke with a few people, I kind of thought, right, well, I need to control this news. I need to, I need to put it out there. And how can I do it in a way that's not particularly, um, that's not too personal but also gives the message and I I didn't have the words to say it so I I in the times of three o'clock in the morning insomnia instead of going and ranting on Facebook I went and bought a a very sweary t-shirt oh tell us the (laughs) t-shirt it's a very pretty t-shirt and it says uh stay strong fuck cancer nice Um, (laughs) (laughs) and did you model said t-shirt do you know, I didn't because I couldn't actually wear it. Again, it was still the, the stage of processing. I, I needed the news to be out there. Uh-huh. I knew that I would wear the T-shirt. So I just took a sort of photo of this really, pr- and it's such a pretty, beautiful, flowery design. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the ones you normally associate with all the the positive affirmation messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the different slogan. And I just put that on Facebook saying, hmm, so I, and other social media, hmm, so this is, I have cause to um, wear this t-shirt a bit over the next few months. Uh, if in doubt, get checked out, you're not too young. Um, and then just left it. <laughs> yeah. 
um, didn't respond straight away that, you know, and obviously had lovely comments from people, people got in touch. Um, but I, I couldn't, again, it was part of the processing. I couldn't react to them straight away. Yeah. D- did that feel a bit overwhelming? Very much so. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's lovely that you get this support. Um, but when it all comes at once in mm-hmm. a flood, yeah, it's quite, um, quite scary <laughs> in a different way. It, and it's, you don't want to sort of, you want to be able to respond to people properly because you know that there's some really heartfelt messages yeah. and it's just, I didn't have the words to respond, um, at that time i am so with you on that i i mean i it's it's been 10 years now for me i still feel guilty i mean there are some days i i think maybe i should go back through my messages um because i know there were messages that i didn't respond to and actually the nicest ones because at the time i thought i don't want to send just a you know a thoughtless reply i wanted to say thank you so much i wanted to ask them about their lives and like you know, I wanted to have a really considered and my brain was at max. So I couldn't do those things that I desperately wanted. And so I just carried this like overwhelming guilt um, about those messages. And I, I think, you know, what I would say to people, <laughs> um, uh, to friends is um, that it is appreciated. It really, really, really is. It's just that depending on the day that it came in, there's just a again it's like a capacity issue it's a it's a broadband issue you know like can you know and another day you can respond really easily oh completely it it's definitely comes in waves and that timing sort of and it it can be completely random um but i remember uh, i just finished my first round of chemo and i had a a phone call from an ex-colleague and um, this was a job I'd been made redundant from shortly before my diagnosis. And I just, that, at, at that point, I, I just thought, I can't deal with this. And she was ringing at nine o'clock at night, I think. Um, and it was like two days, you know, the day of or the day after my, my first or second chemo. And I just rejected it and thought, well, if she leaves me a voicemail or sends me a text, I can deal with this. Right. didn't have the energy to be going on a conversation with somebody when it just comes from the blue mm-hmm. um, so I I much preferred it when people would just text me and allow me to process and get back to them in my own time yeah and also that understanding that late evenings early mornings aren't great when you're going through chemo like that's I mean you know everyone's different obviously but for a lot of us there there is a yeah timing issue isn't there oh nine o'clock and I was in bed mm-hmm. um, guaranteed <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel about people that asked you for a lot of information like did you have anyone like really pressing you for details yeah it was quite invasive um mm. and again overwhelming in a different way because even though I chose to share my cancer diagnosis and I completely understand why people wouldn't. Um, Even though I chose to share it, it was still my information to control. Mm. And Sometimes we don't have, you know, we're still waiting for details from 
doctors and yeah. diagnoses. Everybody, the first thing every everyone says is um, kind of, oh, what what stage or and. I remember it was one of the first questions I asked and they um, they wouldn't give me an answer. They just said, well, we don't know. It'll need to be biopsied, but we are treating it. We are treating the tumour, not the stage. Mm. And I thought actually that was quite a useful way to put it. Um, but there were some people who kind of just kept wanting more and more personal information. And at the end of the day, nobody's entitled to that but me. Um, so I kind of had to just step back and stop. And sometimes you'd, you'd reply once and then you'd get kind of four or five questions back. Oh, yeah. Um, and you'd think, well, hang on, I've just kind of shared what I'm prepared to share. Yeah. That doesn't need to go any further. Yeah. So there are people that can turn into cancer tourists, as they're sometimes known. I had someone call me the day of my diagnosis um, asked me a billion questions and um, never contacted me again. Oh wow! Yeah, I think just wanted just wanted the deets to pass on. Maybe have some currency in uh, her next conversation that she knew someone who you know. Um, but yeah, never never once texted me. Never once called me again. Um, so yeah, that it it can feel. And I think it's quite useful for people to know that, like, while questions are lovely, it's also quite handy to maybe say, I have some questions because I'm really interested, but how are you feeling today? Like, are, are you up for questions? Like, would you prefer just to let me know, you know, what you'd like to share? And I think just even that awareness about questions, I think, is useful. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I still harbour some guilt um, from years ago where uh, I, a friend who lived in the same village as me, her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and we were both at university at the time. So her mum was quite young and I heard through the village she didn't tell me. So I kind of thought I don't I don't want to you know, I, I was a teenager mm. and I didn't want to approach her and say, are you doing OK? Because I was kind of thinking maybe she doesn't want me to know for some reason. But actually, we found, um, we kind of then I didn't realise how much resentment she harboured that I hadn't reached out to her. Oh. I've always felt guilty about it. Um, so it kind of ended our friendship a few years later. I mean, we drifted apart anyway, but it's something that I always felt guilty about. So I think reaching out in a kind of just a gentle way mm. is definitely you know it's so appreciated for me um and I, you know i i've done it myself and what even just mentioning um contacting somebody and saying look i'm here i understand this is going on with you um that you've had this horrible news sorry that you've got to have the uh the cocktails the toxic cocktails um but if you do want to chat I have been through it and um, yeah, just message me at any point. Right. Yeah. And actually, I think there's a couple of things in there that I think remembering back to your friends that have been through tough things and like remembering like how that felt for you, like because, you know, I've definitely had friends that went through stuff that I like stumbled <laughs> into what I was saying um, and like not really sure how to handle it and kind of then acknowledging when people were stumbling around me 
um, it kind of, yeah, gave a little bit of a buffer. Um, But also, I suppose the other thing that it makes me think of is that, you know, in regular friendships, we have a a back and forth, you know, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? Um, And when cancer comes along, it can sometimes skew that, right? So that our friends don't always tell us what's going on in their lives because they don't want to bother us, which can make us feel more isolated. Or you can have somebody, you know, saying, oh, the worst thing happened to me today. (laughs) And you're like, really? 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 I'm not sure. Uh, You know what I mean? And they're talking like completely like normal, um, but it actually isn't anymore. Um, And it can be so subtle. It's a tonal thing. So did you want your friends to talk to you about what was going on with them? And did you have any of those moments where you're like, "Mm, really? (laughs) Uh, I definitely so even though you're going through something you're still you and you still want to be there for your friends mm-hmm. um, so you know if you're excluded because you're going to be excluded from things you can't go and do what you would normally do right you can't be there in the same capacity but if they don't tell you and involve you then all of a sudden when you're released back into the wild if if you like you've got all of this it's overwhelming enough as it is and then you've got all this stuff to catch up on you know um finding out that maybe somebody's relationship has ended and they're now with somebody else and you've kind of thought oh hang on you went through a, you went through a divorce and didn't tell me right <laughs> yeah i mean that's yeah that's a major change yeah yeah um and even though you're not able to be there i'm not able to you know i wasn't able to be there in the same capacity um you're still you still want to help in the, the ways that you can, yeah. Because there's a, you know, there's a lot of for me anyway. Um, just sitting around at home, going, ah, there's not much I feel well enough to do. But sometimes something that you do feel well enough to do is to take the focus, and kind of, it's nice to be distracted by somebody else's problems. Yes, yes. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if your friend like comes to you and is like okay, do you want distraction? And you're like, yes, please. And they're like, okay, so I've had the worst day, right? Like that's totally different. You're like, I'm in, I'm in for the distraction. Tell me what went wrong with your eyebrow threading, you know, (laughs) even as I'm sitting here with no eyebrows, right? Like, yes, oh, I understand this pain, right? Like, but it's, it's all about kind of the, the setup of like, do, you know, have they checked in? Do you want distraction today? Um, Or, you know, something that sort of pads it. And I'd, I'd love to bring um, Neil in at this point. So Neil's beside me in the studio. <laughs> and um, so, Neil, do you think that this is quite a common thing that comes up, this um, friends keeping things to themselves during that time and kind of like not telling you stuff? Yeah, for sure. And I definitely think there's something in there about like... Um, we call it within shine top trumping yourself so um there's something within it where i mean if you always think someone must have it worse mm-hmm. where does that end you know that it's not always really helpful behavior i mean sometimes it, it can make sense if someone stubbed the toe the world might not be ending if you've got cancer but i do think um people do want to know like similar to what eleanor was saying you're still you 
um, you don't want um, life to go on. You don't want to feel left out. You already feel quite different after having a cancer diagnosis. So um, it can definitely feel really isolating and feel like everyone's moving away with their lives and they've got other things going on and you're not part of that anymore because of this thing that you've had no control over. And so how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 20... um, 26 um when i was diagnosed um and um yeah i had a medulloblastoma um which is a cancerous brain tumor um don't ask me to spell it i have no idea um and um i had surgery and radiotherapy um with that and how did you tell your friends initially like were you quite yeah i mean um so I did a Facebook post just for everyone because I didn't have, similarly to what you were saying, I didn't have that capacity to individually message people and um, it was a real shock and really sudden um, and I was going straight in for surgery about a week later and there wasn't a lot of process time so um, I just put a message out there on Facebook. Um, but I did have the negative response that 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 left it open to anybody to say whatever they wanted to say, um, which was um, some of the responses were really, really touching and and people that I hadn't spoken to for years and people that I'd only known for a week or something like that on holiday or um, there were some really lovely responses and and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, helpful things I think um however there were some that I was a bit like "Mm, why are they saying this or it gave people a license to sort of go well this is what you should do to cure everything okay so you were getting sent some cures yeah definitely or or some sort of like oh it's not that bad or oh I hope you're okay because my neighbor had cancer and died and I was like Everything, like, I could see the positive and the negative side of doing it that way. Yeah, yeah, so in there, there's sort of minimisation, the... There is everything. (laughs) there is the, um, yeah, I I mean, I think it's a really common one. Oh, my, you know, my ex had this and they died. Yeah. (laughs) I see Eleanor's eyes rolling, yeah. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? So much. And, you know, it was lovely, but especially when it was my parents' friends um, and so many of them would go, oh, well, I know so and so and I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you. And I thought, that's great. That's lovely. Um, But they would sort of they were talking about people who were 30 years older than me. Mm. And also um, on top of that, they were kind of people that I don't know and wasn't close to. And they were just saying, oh, well, approach this person, go and talk to them. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and Eleanor, what was like something that you did get that you felt really taken care of or understood, like a way that a friend reached out and you were like, oh, I love this? I mean, there were lots of ways, but the one that really made me cry because I was so overwhelmed by it and it, uh, it arrived when I got home from surgery, a friend had bought me a box um, and it was this key, uh, this cancer care box thing. And every single thing in it was so useful and well thought out. You know, you had peppermint teas, you had um, sweet drops, you had moisturizer, mm-hmm. all, all the moisturizer and uh, eye masks. And I don't know whether they worked or not, but I wore them for every round and I didn't get that bad sickness, um, some travel wristbands. Okay warm socks and a lovely blanket and I used everything in that box and the fact that they'd done this research 
um, to sort of think what is the best gift. Because I had, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love flowers. Mm. I love flowers. But I think the problem is, it's a bit like when people message you. It all comes at once. Yeah. Um, And so all of a sudden I'd be running around trying to find vases places where Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Whereas actually, if you stagger it. Yeah. (laughs) Send me a, you know, send me a lovely bunch of flowers. That's great. And I really, really love it. But maybe just think, oh, actually, can we send it in a month's time? Mm. Because the same thought. Yes. I totally relate to that. And how bad do you feel when you when you're really sick on the sofa and you've got those flowers in the corner that you haven't taken care of and they start to die? Like you oh. just feel like the worst person in the world. <laughs> and you're like, I just can't face it. I just can't get up. I can't go over there. You know, I actually got um, a bunch of flowers so large. <laughs> they look like funeral flowers. <laughs> <laughs> They were ridiculous. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, they might have actually been to... to, um, Yeah, my best friend came in and she was like, oh, yeah, you're not going to want these. (laughs) (laughs) They were from someone that, um, yeah, wasn't really thinking things through. Um, So, yeah, like flowers can be tricky. I love that. Neil, was there something for you that, like a way that your friend showed up for you that you felt like... Oh, yeah. they're like they're really here. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think um, there was a few different things. Um, one thing that I absolutely loved that I've talked to quite a lot of people within the Shine community that that had similar feelings about this was um, I had a couple of friends who I would say you know, um, especially because I I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and they didn't know if it was cancer then it was cancer then I was like it was kind of bad news after bad news mm. and it it kept I kept having something to share with people that wasn't great and one one or two of my friends they were just go that that's really shit that, that just sucks full stop not what about these 16 things that you can do not um this is what you can do to cure yourself not any advice nothing just being there with you um and there's a really interesting um video that we use within Shine. Um you can look at it on YouTube, but it's uh by Brené Brown. Mm-hmm. And it looks at the difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy is sort of saying, well, at least it's curable or sort of silver lining what you're what what you're going through. Yeah, um, it's like any sentence that starts with yeah. at least. At least know. or or why don't you do this or this is what you should do whereas actually empathy is just being like I'm here with you. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to sit here and you want to play video games and just pretend nothing's happening, I'm here with you. Or if you want to give me a call and just um, spend some time talking about soap operas, I'm here with you. Like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be a really helpful thing where sometimes, as a friend, you can maybe check in and go, what What do you want to do? How do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, that can be a really thoughtful thing. Um, and then I, I also discovered that... Um, one of my sort of love languages um, is time. So um, I had a friend who um, just, even though he was petrified of flying, in the middle of a storm flew from London to Inverness um, and came and saw me. And I mean, that just, like I broke down in tears and it was just lovely. Um, But people just making an effort and um, people just, you know, um, showing that they cared, um, not sort of, trying to fix you in their eyes really Mm. because I think there's there's a very common thing um that sometimes happens um 
because I think people are scared of silence. You know yeah. what you, what you were saying, like the that's really shit, and then just just letting that sit. Like I'm just here with you. I think a lot of people panic, definitely, and say things that sound lovely. Mm. Um, and are meant lovely. And this is the thing, like no one has the handbook, right? Like they mm. are lovely, they're meant lovely, but they can sometimes actually f- make you feel more alienated. And they're like the, you're so brave. Yeah. You're so inspirational. You're I, so positive. Yeah. And in a way, then you feel like you can't say anything that would contradict that. You can't say, actually, I'm really shit scared right now. Actually, I had a panic attack this morning, (laughs) you know? Um, And so, like, Neil, is that, is there a a name for, like, what that is? Is that, like, putting an identity onto somebody else? Yeah, I guess I have, I've been thinking of a, a, like a sort of analogy for that. Um, and it's a bit like um, if someone rings your doorbell and they've got um, 14 casseroles and you answer the door and you're like, oh, thanks, but like I didn't really ask for any casseroles. <laughs> like it's someone saying, you know, oh, you're so brave, but like I didn't ask you to put an emotion on me or you must be so scared or you must be so happy or you should feel mm. like this but you might not feel like that. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people when they go into remission don't feel happy. I didn't feel happy when I went into remission. I was, I was done with everything. I was petrified. I didn't know what the future held. So being told you should feel so happy makes you then start to think, why, why do I not feel happy? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's the sort of like giving of an emotion or like handing over something that someone's not asked for. Um, and just reframing that question in a very different way. To, so instead of saying to a friend of yours, you should feel so happy, mm. just saying, how do you feel? How do you feel? Um, asking a question instead of putting, I mean, I, I, I disagree with the word should. I try not to use it as much as possible. But um, a lot of that is um, just asking someone. Um, there's so much of a range with what people go through Mm -hmm. um, after a cancer diagnosis. We see it all the time in Shine with the programs that we do that there's not one thing that that someone like, yes, I'm feeling this now. Someone might feel really happy after Mm -hmm. going into remission, but someone might not. So asking them and inquiring and just seeing how they are can be really powerful. And similarly to what you're saying, like a lot of people struggle with silences and and get worried about what to say. Um, But... I think a really great thing to say sometimes is, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Like, um, that's so powerful. Um, I mean, if if I had a friend going through something that I had no idea about, um, like a trauma or a grief that, that I didn't know, saying, I just have no idea what to say right now. I'm just, yeah, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Full right. stop. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that yeah. is so powerful, I think. Yeah, it really is. And... Yeah, and I think that it's it's so tricky, and because how people talk about their own cancer is so individual, mm. right? So somebody might be like, "I feel like a brave badass. I feel yeah. like a fierce warrior." And if they are saying that, if that is their chosen language for it, then you can reflect that back. But if someone is not using those words, is not, you know, saying this is how I'm kind of identifying on this mm. um, at this time, then when you use those words, it's like you're talking about somebody else that isn't really them, yeah. you know? And so 
as a way of connecting, sometimes it is about just really reflecting, like just listening to the words that they are using to describe it and then, ref- you know, just mirroring those words back. Yeah. So when you're really stuck for something to say, um, is that something that you would... Yeah, I mean, interestingly that you mentioned the word mirroring there because I was just thinking that that's, a, that's one of the skills in counselling that, that, that um, people learn is mirroring. So if someone's um, using language or, or display, if someone's using a lot of swear words, maybe maybe they're comfortable with swearing. If mm. someone's describing themselves as a, a, as a badass, like maybe it's worth incorporating that. Like um, mirroring is so powerful and that's why... Um, with a lot of therapists, people feel so safe because they're mirroring a lot of your language or your body right. language. Or if someone's feeling really down and they're and they're sort of like heads down, um, being all bubbly and shouting around, that might not be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be, but probably not. So often, mirroring is so helpful and so um, insightful and so useful for people. I think. Yeah, and so like as a friend, seeing your friend, you know, like so taking on on the friend hat, and being there in that moment of like panic of oh my god i i care so much about this person i want to i want to make it better because that's usually 90% of the t- 95% of the time what they're thinking mm. you have a couple of toxic friends which i think all of us have discovered and also lost uh during this time i think that's a really standard thing so like they do exist um but i think a lot of people in that panic um, yeah, it's that's quite a tangible thing to actually go, okay, ask a question and then mm. just listen to the words yeah. that someone's using to hear what they need. Yeah, and that that's another really important counselling skill as well is active listening. So um, a lot of the time people will ask you a question and then might be scrolling through Instagram or might say, oh, how are you feeling today? And then look out the window or something. <laughs> and, and you're like... In your head, you're like, but you don't really care. Mm. So active listening in, in that you ask something and you're not thinking up what you're going to say next. You ask a question, you say, how are you feeling today, Tatum? And then you just sit there and you and you really just listen. And it can be quite tiring. It can be quite draining, but yeah. it's, it's so powerful and so few people in day-to-day life do it that it can be really powerful for your friend that that you can be that person listening to them and um, they might not have had anyone ask that mm-hmm. let alone give them that time to listen to as well and do you think it's worth having sort of preemptive conversations mm. with your friends yeah it's definitely something that um i wish i'd done um although the majority of my friends were really great um I think it can be really helpful language-wise to be like, this is how I'm seeing this. Mm. Um, similarly to what I was saying before about words like brave or some people feel brave and that's awesome. I would yeah. never want someone not to feel brave, but that's definitely not a word I identify with. I don't really, I find it quite uncomfortable when someone puts it, when someone gives it to me. Mm. Um, and I definitely don't feel that. Um especially since I've had days where I'm sort of like just crying in bed. Yeah. So um, so sometimes being like, this is how I'm seeing things. The way I, I would say it is I something really awful happened to me. Um, I'm glad to still be here. I still have quite a lot of side effects. I still, you know, um, try and put a brave face on things. Well, I'm, I try and put a face on things anyway. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, that's how I see it. And, and often if someone sort of, 
takes a different way you can be like well that's not really how i see it and you can kind of reference back to that conversation but sometimes having having a sort of script about yourself i always think that's useful especially if you're meeting new friends if you're um dating if you're um meeting new people having something that you having a story you say about yourself so this is what happened to me I though I like to keep it quite short. This is what happened to me, but yeah, let's move on and talk about something else. Oh, mm. uh, why don't we go for a walk here? Or let's go to this pub. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think having that preemptive conversation, but also interestingly doing that with yourself as well, having maybe a bit of reflection time and just thinking mm. about how you see yourself and what what language and um, how you would like people to talk around you. Yeah, yeah, because we often get triggered, right? We often don't know how we're feeling until somebody says something and you're like, ooh, (laughs) that made me feel shitty, right? Like like there is a little bit of a learning curve. I remember going out with um, two women for dinner and at the time I was suffering with really bad fatigue. I was so tired and, you know, I was having a hard time getting up in the morning. It was actually physically painful for me to wake up because I wasn't really sleeping and I was hot flushing the entire night. And my days were incredibly short because of this, like, debilitating fatigue. And one of them said, oh, you know, what time did you get up? And I don't know, I think I said something like nine. And the peals of laughter, because they both had kids. So they thought this was hilarious. Mm. And I was like, you know, oh, God, I feel lazy. And I know I'm not, but it it just came down like a barrier. And then one of them was talking about someone that she knew that had cancer like quite a long time ago. Um, and it was back in like the old days of radiation where she was left with a seeping wound. And she said, oh, and she never complained. And I was like, oh, did you just throw some shade at me? Mm. Like, now I, I can't complain. Like, you guys can continue talking about your lives, complain about anything that you feel like. But now I feel like I can't complain because, you know, this lady with cancer with a steeping wound, she never complained. <laughs> you know, and if it, it felt very silencing and it felt, yeah, really, really alienating. Um, and... You know, if I could go back in time, one of the things that I wish that I could have maybe been more clear about is is maybe saying in those moments, like, oh, like, I do complain. <laughs> it fucking sucks. <laughs> and, and just owning it, right? <laughs> but you're tired mm-hmm. and depleted. And, you know, th- these are the things that are just, you know, you're thinking, oh, is everyone else with cancer dealing with this better than me? Mm-hmm. And well, this is why it's so useful to have these kinds of conversations and hear from other people with cancer that you're you're not alone if you're feeling alone. <laughs> um, and I think another thing that I wish was that um, that either with myself or with another person that there could have been a code for um, whether or not I needed advice or just needed to vent, (laughs) right? Like, I wonder, is that, could that be a preemptive conversation? Oh, 100%. There's a uh, sort of trend going around, um, people might have seen it on TikTok, but it's about, um, it's apparently like a relationship saver, but it's kind of um, asking people um, 
when they say something to you. So someone might say, I've had a really tough week. Um, work's been tough. I had chemo on Monday. It was really, uh, everything was a struggle. And then as the response to the friend, you might you might say, would well, you want comfort advice? And, mm-hmm. and that can be um, a, a preemptive way of saying like, how do you want me to deal with this? Yeah. Um, because often we go straight to, advice or straight to comfort um and i know for myself i I, i'm quite um uh i'm i i don't really like a lot of advice a lot of the time so um yeah just a hug yeah great i remember like when i was uh, starting to date after i had um my cancer diagnosis and finding it really tough and my confidence was depleted um my housemate, I came back and I was in tears and he was like, do you, do you want a hug? And I was like, oh, yes, yeah. Aww. yeah." Instead of being like, well, here are the 17 things that you should do next time. And I'm like, I just, yeah, yeah. I just feel shit and I just want a hug. Um, and um, But yeah, having that sort of comfort or, or advice can be really yeah. helpful. And and I think that almost if you can create codes, I mean, I think mm. that we need more emojis for this. So I think <laughs> there needs to be an emoji for I'm thinking of you, no need to respond, you know, oh. or like NN2R, like some, <laughs> something that that means that you can reach out to someone but and maybe even ask a question, but be also like, I totally understand if you can't contact me back, like I'm not expecting it. Um, you know, having yep. those codes in advance or the, you know, I think would be incredibly useful. And the thing is, we often have that for other people with cancer. Yeah. Right? Like, so when we text our friends, like, we're like it's it's it comes so easily like you know just to let you know I'm I know you've got a big day today I'm thinking about you don't worry about contacting me back like you know and it's almost like a it's funny how easily you can get into that um and Eleanor have you found that your friendships are different with other people with cancer yeah I mean I don't want to say that there's any positives to cancer because it's just shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I would say is the friendships that I'm making and the links through it. And obviously, again, it, this has been in time of COVID, but um, from from the people on various online communities, from um, the Shine, the Shine Breakout was just a game changer. Um, the Shine Breakout group for me, um, because it, again, it's just there's that a WhatsApp group and we we're there with mutual support for each other and it's really lovely and hopefully we'll be going on a, a some of us will be meeting up and going on a trip to see some alpacas um, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere um and even so yesterday i had one of i think probably one of the best days i've had in two years because i got back in the swimming pool um and so but then somebody else was having a really rough day in that group and it, it didn't matter that one of us you know we were still there mm. um, to hide your positives because somebody's got a negative in that because you're happy for each other yeah um and it's just quite relaxing to be part of those friendships yeah um i met one one person for coffee thinking that oh you know this is exciting i get to meet somebody in person um and thinking that we'd be about half an hour or well, three hours later <laughs> 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 so, because it was just really exciting and just so refreshing to be able to have share some of the thoughts and mm. you know, it, part of the conversation was heavy 
but also part of it was hilarious. Yep. Um, and and he sort of zooms like this. I can think, oh well, I've I've had a really really nice day. Do I really want to be doing something cancery? Mm. Um, but actually, when you go and yeah, there's always mixed emotions sort of having sort of friendship meetups and zooms within that group. But I, you always end up laughing and coming away, no matter how dark the conversation. Yep. Um, and I don't think that my other friends who haven't been involved in this world would actually get it. Mm-hmm. I very much emphasise, please use dark humour with me, mm-hmm. um, because it really helps <laughs> for me. Um, and one or two friends are brilliant and they, they're great like that. I think some of the most unexpected friendships and sort of the unexpected supports have been from people who, you know, there were, there were a couple of people I met on dating websites and hadn't met up with yet, but actually I called it off because I got diagnosed when I was about to go and meet them. And they're really, they're just very helpful little friendships. You know, they'll Mm. message, how are things today? One of them kept me massively entertained because he's been telling me all of his bad dating stories. <laughs> so I think it's unexpected. And because he didn't, he hasn't known me before cancer. Yeah. So it's not just people within the cancer community. It's the people that haven't known me before. Yeah. yeah. I'm still the same person, but I'm probably Eleanor 2.0 now. Mm. <laughs> That's like a good that. way of putting it. It's quite funny. I look back at photos of myself and I don't recognise myself five year, five years ago. Genuinely, I went to have an ID check this week for um, and my passport photo and my driver's licence. They've still got five years to run on them. And she was just like, is this actually you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't recognise myself in photos of a couple of years back now. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's a useful thing of reminding yourself like if if you're ever at a dinner like I was that I felt quite isolated and quite estranged and this you know this didn't happen all the time I I had lots of amazing friends but if you are feeling that way then it can be really useful to know that actually balancing out your friendships with cancer friendships Mm. um, can be really nourishing all around would you how would you say that it's affected people that have come through like the shine programs, like knowing other people with cancer and how that's kind of um, positively um, impacted their yeah, friendships. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really awesome. Um, we um, we did a study and we saw that um, although um, a lot of people had lost friends, there was something like twenty five percent of people had gained friends mm. after being diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I know certainly for myself, you know, I, I first got involved with Shine in, in January 2018. And, um, yeah, we, we've the people I was on the program with, we still have a WhatsApp group and we still chat to each other. Um, I recently turned 30 and some of them came to my birthday party um, and it was just really nice. Um, and um, it's a group of people who do just get it and do understand. Mm. And you don't have to, I mean when you when when i do meet new people it's in the back of my head where i'm like 
some point. I'm going to have to tell them. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, whereas these people just know, like, you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, that big, massive scar in the back of my head, that's because I had a brain tumour. Oh, okay, cool. What movies do you like? You know? <laughs> right. you know, not, not like, not like, oh, yeah, not going off on some of the tangents that yeah. we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and I also think um, we talk about it a bit, a bit in the group, but as well, like, kind of owning those codes that you were mentioning earlier. Mm. So, like, um, I've got a few as well. So um, when I get really bad fatigue, um, I often say, oh, I've got bad fatigue, and then someone will say, you should have a nap, and I don't want to have a nap, and Mm. I don't want to be told what to do. (laughs) So I'll say, um, I just need to be horizontal for half an hour. Um, Usually that doesn't mean asleep, but just kind of code for, like, I'm just feeling a bit iffy, you know? Yeah. Um, And and, um, I also really recommend using... um, fruit names as codes for things okay so um i'm gonna um disclose a little bit but um (laughs) so me and my girlfriend um i'm very extroverted she's quite introverted and when she needs a bit of time by herself she instead of having a big long conversation Mm. she'll say well i just need some pineapple time and yep and and i under i know what she means straight away i'm like okay i'll yep see it a bit and so maybe maybe in coming up with some of those yourself if you've yeah. got a really cl- close friend saying you know what i'd love to come but today's a bit of a raspberry day you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i love that and that's is one of the things that happens with the shine programs is you end up developing a language to yeah. talk about these things so yeah. you know if you haven't heard a spoon theory that's also another way that people talk about fatigue yeah. um in terms of spoons and and then when you have that language and when you have that then you can also share that with your friends outside and also you realize like how you are when your friend tells you something that's really tough and then it's almost like you can then mirror that to your friendships Mm. outside and kind of lead them along too um and one thing before we go just say there is a friend listening to this and they are like i fucked up i wasn't there at the beginning and is it too late is it too late to reach out now? What would you say, Neil? I would say definitely not. Um, it can be um, difficult, especially um, if someone was really close and they've ghosted you. If you if you feel like you've like if you're the friend and you feel like like you said, oh, I, I fucked up, you know. Mm. But own that and, and say to them, you know, I really fucked up. I couldn't message you. I couldn't deal with this. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'd love to be there now. Let me know what I can do. Yeah. Um, or or do you want to go for a coffee? Um, it might not work, but sure. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You, if you send that message, yes, no, what's the worst that's going to happen? I think the majority of people that I know within Shine that um, I speak to would say, you know, I'd, I'd give them a chance. Um, I can certainly remember times in my life when people have had hard things happen to them and I, before I had cancer that I look back on and I think, oh, that wasn't great. Yeah, I'm not proud of myself in that moment. Mm. I, I didn't really say the right things, or I said this, or I said that, and and sort of, um, yeah. Um, I think um, from my point of view, I'd always encourage people to to just send that message and just just be honest. Yeah. Um, you you might have been having something really traumatic, and and they might not know, and it it could be a really um great like bonding experience. Um, you just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see the nods from Eleanor. I can see the, the the similar thing there. And actually, I think it's, it. you know, you have waves, like we were talking about earlier, when things all come at once. Actually, I'm, I remember, so when I was diagnosed um, uh, 
a very good friend of mine um, was in a horrendous car accident and I was also very close to his sister. And, you know, due to us both being immunocompromised and him being in a coma, like, you know, I couldn't get there. And I felt awful. And um, and then when I could get there, she just wrapped her arms around me and she said, yeah, the friends are starting to drop off now. You know, that actually you do sometimes need a second mm. or a third wave of friends. And she was just so happy when I got there when I could. And so, you know, I would say, I, you know, I would always want to extend that out as well. Like if someone feels like they haven't been there, you know, being honest, showing up when you can is lovely. Thank you so much, Eleanor, <laughs> for being on the show today. No, it's been great. And, you know, what you were saying there is definitely, I've had a couple of friends who have reached out and just sent little messages sort of going, oh, I have been thinking of you for six months, but I didn't have the words. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, yeah, that's fine. And then I could reply to them. So, yeah, no, it's been lovely. Um to have a chat and have a think about it as well. Oh, excellent. And thank you, Neil, so thank much. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And if you enjoyed this topic, we have many others. Um, they are now wherever you listen to podcasts. So they're on uh, Google, they're on Audible, they're on um, iTunes. Oh, my God, where's the other places? Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, anywhere you'll bump into our podcast. And we would love you to listen to the others. And thank you, as always, to Radio Facilities for sponsoring sponsoring our show and recording us and being so wonderful. Until next time, bye.